Have you heard some of the great insights from guests on Gangry the Podcast? Insights like... I've never had an editor throw an idea at me to write anything before. I always ask myself with yeah, stories, and, and I, I had the same going question. through the Bokov's archives. It has a question mark in my Imagine head I'm on your shoulder and that you're wearing a GoPro. Here is uh, carefully and Every single meticulously. about the whole Bundy story was just so interesting. It was a really weird one to write because every time I tried to outline... became a viral sensation, right? Like, it was the story. You cannot, you cannot do these stories. Or how, we, uh, how we understand the world. They're how we share our experiences. Believe it or not, Gangry the Podcast is now in its ninth year. In all that time, the best narrative journalists have told us how they report and write their stories. You can still listen to every single episode. They're on our website, along with links to all of the stories and books that we've talked about. You can find it all at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. In this episode, I talked with Allison Glock. Glock is the type of writer who succeeds in a variety of genres. She writes young adult fiction, She's an executive producer for the NBC series, The Blacklist. She's written for The New Yorker and Garden and Gun magazine. She's written poetry and produces short documentary films. We start off, though, by talking about an essay she wrote for ESPNW at the end of 2020. The essay, Walk, Run, or Wheelbarrow, We Moved Our Bodies Forward During the Pandemic, is about how we dealt with COVID in the days when we were locked down. On its face, it's about about moving and movement and taking, again, like a walk. This time it was at um, a cemetery in Atlanta where I go all the time. But again, you know, as with, you know, what you hope as a writer, it's about so much more, you know, about perseverance and connection and what ultimately matters, you know, and, and what doesn't. That essay leads off the new sports anthology series the year's best sports writing, 2021. That's a new series started by Glenn Stout. The series, published by Triumph Books, continues the tradition carried on by Best American Sports Writing, which ended its run in 2020. Stout talks about the new series at the end of this episode. Glock got her start doing long-form narrative for magazines but has transitioned to film and TV out of economic necessity. She's doing amazing work there, including her work on The Blacklist and videos made by her production company, Holler Beach Productions. One of the videos produced was about Southern women. Um, and that was a delight, just traveling th- you know, through the South with our cameras, uh, interviewing different Southern women and, and editing that together um, with our production company into this you know, again, just encapsulating uh, a demographic and and an ethos and a feeling. Um, You know, it's another form of storytelling. As usual, I've linked to everything we talk about on the website. You can find that at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, thepodcast.com. Allison, welcome to Gangry the Podcast. Thank you. 
Uh, I, I want to talk with you about your essay um, that ran on ESPNW at the end of 2020 uh, titled Walk, Run, or Wheelbarrow. We Moved Our Bodies Forward During the Pandemic. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful essay, uh, like I said, that ran at the end of 2020. And it leads off the new anthology, The Year's Best Sports Writing 2021. So that's kind of cool. It's yes, it's, it's not the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell me about the essay, uh, what, what, what it's really focused on? Golly. Yeah. I, I mean, it's mostly, okay. The genesis of it is that four years prior I had written, um, an essay about walking basically. And when we experience traumatic events in our lives, um, sort of the healing properties of walking and immersing yourself in life and reminding yourself you're human, all those simple things that are really <laughs> proved to be essential and, and literally grounding. And so um, my editors said, hey, would you be interested in revisiting that in a, in a different way uh, four years later um, after you know we've all lived through this pandemic and still are? Um, and at first I wasn't sure, but then I thought about it and I thought, you know, I'll try, I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. And, um, you know, end up being, you know, people were really moved by it. Um, and, you know, internally and then subsequently externally. Um, and, you know, on, on its face, it's about, about moving and movement and taking again, like a walk this time it was at um, a cemetery in Atlanta where I go all the time. Um, but again, you know, as with, you know, what you hope as a writer, it's about so much more, um, you know, about perseverance and connection um, and what ultimately matters, you know, and, and what doesn't. Yeah. You said you said at first you, you weren't sure you wanted to do this piece. Um, what kind of ultimately pushed you towards towards taking a shot at it? Um. Well, I mean, I had a little coaxing, but also, um, I don't know. I haven't done bookended pieces like that before. You know, I tend to, to write a thing and be done. I don't go back and read them. I don't, you know, I just, I'm like the actor that doesn't watch themselves on the screen. <laughs> oh, I don't <laughs> listen to podcasts after they run. So, <laughs> See, there you go. You understand. Yeah. So it was a little bit of that. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to read that old one. And then I'm going to want to change that and fix it. And it's too late. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I, once I got into it, I, I figured I did have other things There were, there were other things to say, um, that seemed fresh and, and worth, worth talking about. Yeah. What, uh, what was it? No essay is easy to write, but what was it? Was it, did it come, did it flow naturally or, 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 uh, I'm thinking, you know, you start, uh, you start with walking and then we see other things uh, within, within the piece uh, of people moving forward. How, 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 how did it come about? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the hardest thing I've had to do and it's certainly um, easier than like some of the deep dive reporting I do. I'll, you know, you'll work on for nine months um, and you have to excavate other people's histories and it's excruciating for them. And you feel that pain and, you know, you feel a little weird about doing it you know, having them mine through their grief or trauma, you know, so you can write it down. So it was, you know, this was my grief and my trauma. So it was easier in that way. 
Um, and also I do like the form. I love a, I do love a short essay. I think that, um, you know, it's almost like a long poem in my mind. Um, and if I were a better poet, that's what I would do all day. So <laughs> I talked to a lot of reporters, um, back in April, 2020 about how they were pulling off their writing when everyone was locked down because writing in many ways we think of as a, as a very, uh, something that we do in isolation and that for, for a lot of people wasn't necessarily possible. Um, when you were writing this, it was later in the year. So there was a little, there's more movement, but, but as a writer in general, did you have, what was your writing life like in, in 2020, uh, on top of your walking life? Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I, I stopped traveling. That's the most pronounced change. Uh, I, you know, I'm a diamond medallion. I travel a lot. Um, and that just went away overnight, you know, so I was so used to like packing a bag and getting care for the dog and the kids and all the Michigas and, and that just evaporated. Um, that being said, I still was as productive, um, and had luck, thankfully had as much work to do. Um, it just had to shift how you did it, you know? Um, but I, but that was okay. And it felt, to be honest, it felt really good to be home. I felt, I felt really lucky that my kids came home from college and we were all together and it was awful and horrible and all those things, but it was also, you know, I hadn't spent that kind of extended time with them. Um, and we were lucky enough to stay healthy. And so there was some upside as challenging as it was, at least I tried to focus on that a little. Yeah. I know you've done, you do a lot of reporting and really in depth, uh, you know, long, long form reporting as well. Did you do any reporting for this piece other than reading your own piece? Did you talk to your daughters about like what they're doing when they go on their walks or, or their runs, that type of stuff? Yeah. I mean, mostly just observation and the intimacy of being crammed back in, you know, our small house all together. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, it was a, it was a, very different approach than like, for example, Christy Martin, which I also write, wrote in this time frame just before COVID, you know, lockdown started. So I had been able to do some face-to-face -face news gathering. Um, and then, then the back half was not, um, you know, it was very different than that. Um, but it was okay. It was all right. There's a, there's a line about two thirds of the way through uh, the essay itself that I love. Um, and I'm actually going to read it, uh, the sentence, um, it starts with over the last year, almost all of us have become prisoners in our own MC Escher print made real bit players in an unfolding Samuel Beckett novel. Um, do you remember what made you think of that as you were writing? Yeah, I guess it's just the sort of the, we were all in these little tidal pools of these mundane activities, you know, climbing these same stairs and walking the same footpaths and like, our, everyone's world shrunk so much so quickly. Um, you know, I was thinking about that. And then I was just also thinking about all these stairwells that we climb you know, metaphorically and literally, but like where that, where they're going, you know, it was, it was an opportunity to sort of reevaluate what means something and what doesn't. And it was incredibly discombobulating, I think, especially for children and teens and young adults even more so um, because they're gunning, 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 like I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go to college and I'm going to try and get a job. And then this, you know, 
record scratch moment happens and you, and they're thinking, well, none of that really matters. I'm now I'm in my childhood bedroom. What, what was I thinking? What was I doing? And I didn't have ready answers for that. And all of that started to feel very, very much like the line you read. Yeah. Had you, had, did you do any types of um, reporting that was in some way, shape or form tied to COVID during 2020? No, not specifically. Yeah. I was just curious about that because I know so many, it was something that like touched on almost everything. It almost anything that people wrote about. I was just curious uh, about that. Um, I I know that you've been anthologized a lot um, with your own writing. uh, But I was curious, is this the first time it's been in, you've been in one of the the sports anthologies? No, no. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But it is the first time in the year's best sports writing, which is brand new. Um, what, what was it like when you found out that, that, that not only it was going to be in there, but that it was going to lead the book off? Yeah, I was really uh, soaked about that. Um, you know, I, I'm a big, I'm a, much to my sh- great shame, um, I like honors and awards. <laughs> <laughs> do weirdly care about them even though i know i shouldn't um and so i i was very chuffed by that and and honored and the and the other writers in there are so tremendous and and it's great to be in that company you know always yeah i know that i i've talked with glenn um uh and he said the the one reason he wanted your piece to start it off is because in so many ways almost every piece the sports changed in 2020 Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, your piece ran on ESPNW, but it's not a, a, a piece about a game. You know what I mean? Or a professional athlete or anything like that. Um, it's very much a, just a, a piece about um, physical activity and, and how it changed in 2020. Um, and so uh, anyway, so I, I yeah, I, uh, that's that's pretty cool to. Uh, to have that leading off off the book for sure. Yeah, no, I was I'm thrilled, and um, I look forward to seeing it in print and smelling the paper, and <laughs> <laughs> right? All the things. And you do a lot of different types of of, of writing. So as you don't just write essays. You obviously do a lot of journalism, um, long form journalism. Um, you do uh, Q and A's uh, with celebrities for Garden and Gun. Um, you write for television and movies for me anyways, I can do one type of writing and that's it. <laughs> How, what's the differences and similar similarities between, uh, when you're working on, um, you know, long form journal, piece of journalism and, uh, something for television. Oh my, well, so many, um, <laughs> long form journalism, which honestly, if it were as robust as it used to be when I started, uh, many years ago. Um, I would probably do nothing else. I really love that. I love storytelling like that. I, I feel like it's an honor to be let into other people's intimate lives and and a privilege to be able to sort of process their narrative um, for a wider audience. And you know, I think all of that's meaningful and beautiful. Um, economic necessity, changing media landscapes, blah, 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 have are, are the reason that I um, gravitated into TV and film. Um, and that's a much more collaborative form, um, you know, and most of that I do in collaboration with my husband, who's a literary novelist. And so um, we sort of split the, you know, split the, the burden of that. Um, 
I will say that writing for TV and film, especially, um, you know, narrative, not uh, doc, which we've also done. I've done documentary as well, but like writing for NBC or Netflix or it's, it's fun. <laughs> you know, you get to make things up. I don't have to have my notepad. Um, you know, I don't have to worry that, you know, someone's going to have, you know, a, a, whatever reaction or just like get something wrong. I just feel such profound personal responsibility with my journalism subjects and to be able to just write for characters. It's really, it's very freeing. It's very freeing. It's not as meaningful, obviously, uh, but it's definitely, it's fun. It's fun. It's like playing, it's a, a new sandbox to play in basically. Yeah. You, you mentioned it's collaborative too, right? Especially with television. It's, it's multiple writers, like all in a room. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I mean, the way it works um, on the blacklist, which is where I'm an executive producer um, now, is there is a there's a room and we break the season. So we figure out loosely what's going to happen with each character um, and what each episode, you know, an outline of what it will be. And then you are dispatched to actually do the writing yourself. Um, so there's that part of the collaboration, but there's also the collaboration between the actors. Um, and it is it is magical to see something you wrote in your living room, you know, in your sweatpants, um, some fabulous actor going on and delivering the line. You're like, oh, wow, that is better <laughs> than I thought. That's, that's really great. Um, that's a really unique and fun experience. This is uh, actually going to be the 99th episode of this podcast. I've been doing them since 2013. And you're actually going to be the th only the third person who's been on the show who actually does some fiction writing, right? I mean, in terms oh. of because TV is fiction. I talked with Chris Jones a couple of years ago who left Esquire and started writing TV for, for Netflix. Um, and, and a long time ago, I talked to it when I was ex experimenting with the show, I talked to a short story writer. Um, so, uh, but it's cool to, to hear the different ways that um, writing, the, the, the different procedures that writing can take, uh, if, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. And I've written novels too. Like I have a four part um, YA series, um, you know, that was completely fiction, uh, almost sci-fi, really fun. And I, I have done poems um, that, you know, which has been, that's where my heart lives. Um, I've sort of done it all <laughs> to varying degrees of success, I guess. But um, it, yeah, I don't know. I feel really lucky about that, honestly. I truly do. Did you know when you were younger, like, did you have a specific type of, of writing that you would want to do as you, you know, as you got older or was it all in? Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I'm from Appalachia. And so the notion that I would say, I'm going to be a writer was preposterous. I should, you know, I could have said, I'm going to fly out, you know, off the roof. Um, but I did, I did say that I have little booklets I made as a child that I would staple together um, and write little stories in. Um, and I was always just captured by observing others. You know, I was always sort of like that, that Flannery O'Connor watching the square kind of vibe, like just watching people's interactions and being somewhat apart. That was always built into who I was, um, that I've been able to so far knock wood have a really lovely career doing that thing is just, it's such a gift. And I'm, I'm like, so grateful that that's been the case truly can you tell me about holler beach productions yeah i can <laughs> <laughs>
So that's my production company that I run uh, with my husband. You know, he's the beach, I'm the holler. And um, we do some stuff for ESPN. Uh, we do some stuff for, we did like for Garden and Gun. There was a Southern Woman book that I wrote um, much of and the introduction of. And then we made a companion video to go with it. Um, and that was a delight, just traveling th you know, through the South with our cameras, uh, interviewing different Southern women and, and editing that together um, with our production company into this, you know, again, just encapsulating uh, a demographic and, a, and an ethos and a feeling, um, you know, it's another form of storytelling, you know, these little short videos. Um, and it's accessible now in a way that it may not, maybe wasn't before, you know, technology's caught up and everyone has cameras on their phones and, you know, um, making that more of a democratic process instead of a, you know, having to have a shit ton of money to buy an incredible camera or rent one, um, I think is great. Yeah, I watched um, uh, the piece, the the video on Southern women, um, and it took me back to my days when I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, right out on close to Wrightsville Beach. It reminded me of my landlord, um, ah. a woman who, uh, whole she never stopped moving, and and she would have fit right into that video. She would have been uh, so perfect. Um, so that came about through a project with Garden and Gun. Yeah, we. we we're doing the Southern woman book. Um, and I basically just talked to the editors at the magazine who are wonderful folks. Uh, and I said, we should do a video with this too, you know? And they said, well, what would that cost you? And I gave a, you know, excruciatingly low budget because this was a project dear to my heart. Uh, and they said, let's do it. Uh, and so we did. And, and that's, that was the result. And, um, we screened it at book events and we toured, um, like Reese Witherspoon's stores, Draper James, I guess we had some book events there. They carried the book, they sold a lot of them. Um, and every time we played that that little video, there were women, they were just hooting and hollering <laughs> and so, watching it and sort of seeing themselves, maybe like your landlord. Um, it was great, it was really gratifying. How, uh, so uh, I'm curious, like how many women did you talk to for this? And like, um, from like, how, how um, geographically, obviously in the South, but like from, I'm curious, like how many states did you tra travel across to gather this? A, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we were mindful of that because the South is, is um, it does have an identity, but it's, it is different in West Virginia, which is where I'm from uh, versus, you know, Florida, which some will say it doesn't even count. <laughs> um, and so we wanted to make sure that we had a wide, um, you know, range of, of women representing all those different little niches um of southern womanhood so quite a few i have to say there's one line that stuck out with me in that piece and that's from uh one of the women who says that you can always tell when someone is from ohio or pennsylvania and i'm curious <laughs> are we that obvious because i are grew you up from ohio? I'm, I'm from ohio yeah it was odd. you knew exactly which state it was <laughs> Well, I had a 50, 50 chance. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, well, I didn't say that line. I, I, I wouldn't, um, no. Um, I think it was less about that and more about Southerners sort of lead with their Southerness for better or worse. And it's not all great, I'm, I'm aware. Um, but we have, we, we sort of is front and center at all times and no more so than Texas. Like people from Texas, they don't say Southern, they say Texan. <laughs> Yeah, there, I mean, there was the one thing, the one part, especially at the beginning where 
like I, I'm assuming that you were asking asking questions of these women, right? Yes. And I'm like, I, I can't help but think like the question or, or whatever was describe Southern women and like strong, strong, strong. Like it just kept that coming up. You're so right. And it's so funny because that wasn't even all of them. We had to choose the strongs. <laughs> every single one and it was and I, there was no leading the witness i promised it wasn't like would you say they're strong no that was always the first thing uh folks said that and the food stuff was very consistent i want to talk a little bit too about some of the um or at least one of the q a's uh that you do um with celebrities for garden and gun because i'm always fascinated um with how uh reporters writers can can work with celebrities right who are always so often like guarding themselves in terms of what they want to want to put across and, and and you've done several uh q a's with celebrities for garden and gun how did those how did those come about how did how did that start out they have a column um talk of the south and so you know that's where that lives and they there's just so many um there's so much talent from the south that's in you know film and tv um, and I started doing them. I don't do all of them. I do a lot of them, um, for, God, years ago now. And it was, I, when I was, my first magazine job was at GQ, um, back in the day. And I did their cover stories by and large. Um, and those were like back when you would write 8,000 words, you know, <laughs> about, and, and the, and the celebrities would let you spend five days with them and you would do all the things and so different now. Um, and so I'm just, I've been doing that kind of, um, storytelling for a long time. Um, I happen to like Q and A's because I'm keenly aware that when folks pick up uh, a piece to read about a star, they're not trying to see me. Like they want to know from hear from them. Um, and that just cuts right to it. Uh, and, and I just actually, I just turned one in this week. Um, another one. So it's just, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like having a conversation and I guess it's part of that Southern thing of just being, you know, <laughs> voluble and chatty and <laughs> irreverent a little. Um, I don't know how deep you want me to go into the process, but. I'm curious um, how uh, they get set up, right? Because that that's always, that, that that's always a little bit different than when you're going to go and set up an interview with, uh, uh, someone just like a normal everyday, um, person. Is this like a connection between the magazine? And I'm, I'm curious about that for sure. Yeah. I mean, often always, um, you know, the, the talents made available when they have something that needs to be promoted. So that's like a book, a TV, you know, a film, whatever. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Or, um, or they're part of your media company. So for example, at ESPN is owned by Disney. Disney owns Marvel, right? So there's those intersections that allow you access to those folks. Um, and all of that's done either through agents or PR people or sometimes directly um, if the writer has a relationship or has worked with someone who knows them. And what's been interesting with Garden Gun, even though it's, it's small, small but mighty, um, folks are very keen to be, to be in it um you know the, the photography is so beautiful and it's not a heavy lift and i'm not spending five days with them like olden times um and so you know it's an hour or two hours of their time and we have like a free range conversation and and then i whittle it down uh to what i think is 
you know, most interesting and true to who they are. Um, and easy peasy lemon squeezy. How do you, how do you come up with the questions that you want to ask? Um, knowing that they are probably asked the same questions a million times every, every time that they have to, to, uh, answer questions from a, from a reporter. Um, but -hmm. also knowing that you have limited space, uh, and and that you don't want (laughs) to take all their time. Yeah. I, I mean, I would argue that that I, that's one thing I'm conscious of and I don't ask the same questions. I deliberately don't. If, if there's something I can get elsewhere, I don't ask that. Um, and I, and I ask them, it always ends up feeling like therapy. I've heard that a lot is that it seems like I'm, I'm, a, you know, they feel like, oh, I'm just spent an hour with my shrink, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I don't ask the standard questions and I, and I don't usually ask like, how was it making this movie or tell me, you know, I, I, you can get that someplace else. Um, and often it's not really that interesting anyway. Um, but if you ask them, you know, like when the last time you cried is, you're going to get a much more interesting story, you know? Yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, you did one uh, one of the Q and A's with Tignataro, um, and uh, she is like I think without a doubt my favorite comedian. What was that like? Um, <laughs> I, if I'm remembering right, I think she was walking. I think so. And yeah. So it was, yeah, and it was loud, <laughs> and it was hard to hear her. Um, it was fine, you know. Like comedians are prickly; they're very prickly folks. Um, but you know, she loves the magazine and, um, you know, I was really stoked to talk to her cause I love her point of view. I mean, it's really different and she has, it's a very, yeah. And she has right. a very dry sense of humor as well. I'm guessing. So when you're listening, it's probably very hard to, is she being serious or not? Or not? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that was, a, that was, that was good. Um, those, those are all good. All those garden gun ones are really good. Um, cause I said, people are their game. It's not like their publicist said, you have to do this. You know, they seem to seem to really, uh, respond to, to the magazine for some reason. I'm curious, do you ever miss like, um, when you were, uh, not even just celebrities, but really doing the big time long form reporting type stuff, which you said you would do now if it was economically feasible, but now what you can do a 5,000 word story and they'll pay you $200 or something like that. Um, do you miss doing that type of work? I do. And I don't, you know, like I, I miss, um, the romance of that, you know, like when I got into magazines, it was at this sort of glorious time where that was the standard. Um, and the budgets were high and it was just, there weren't, there was no Instagram, you know, there was no Twitter. So people weren't doing their own PR basically. So they sort of had to commit to spending a week with you, whether they wanted to or not. And I miss that process of sort of distilling a life that way. Um, so I miss all that. I do. Um, the challenge of that and the, and, and the glamour and romance of that. But I, what I don't miss is like, um, you know, it's exhausting after a while. Um, and some of the stories that like, I don't like those profiles, you know, doing whatever, um, Chris Rock or, you know, (laughs) the rock or whatever, any, you know, any rock, um, (laughs) that's one thing, but like doing the tragedy stuff, which I do a lot of, I've done a lot of really heavy, um, um, stuff and that takes it out of you. It takes it out of a, of a writer. And, and again, part of that is this responsibility I feel to get it right. Um, and 
you know, I miss maybe some of that, but you know, I wouldn't, it'd be okay if I didn't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my boss. <laughs> do you, I, do you, like, do you, how much do you like, um, especially the shorter videos too, that, that you're working on with your husband? Um, what's, what's that like? And what, what's it like when you're taking all of that video and now trying to figure, okay, what's the, what, what script are we going to do, going to put together, um, for this? Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of writing on the front end with, which is unusual. A lot of doc folks don't, and that, that doesn't mean it's scripted. It just means, um, we go in knowing sort of an outline of what we're trying, um, that what the parameters are. So that's, that's not so bad, but like we did do a feature length documentary, which took a couple years and all of our, our bandwidth and lives. Um, and that was challenging because we followed these subjects for more than a year and there wasn't space for all of them. And so we've literally, we've met their families and we've heard their story and we, you know, they've cried in front of us and had birth, had children in front of, you know, all these things. And we have to like leave them on the cutting room floor. Like that is, that's brutal. That's not for the faint of heart documentary making in general, um, but especially feature. Right. I mean, when, when we're writing it, it it's sometimes easy to make cuts, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but I can't, I can't imagine what it's like when you're, when you're also working with a video uh, of people who are going through something. Um, oh yeah. Well, uh, well, Allison, it's been great talking with you. Um, your essay walk, run, or I'm sorry, walk, run, or wheelbarrow. We moved our bodies forward during the pandemic is, uh, ran on ESPNW December 31st of 2020 and is now in the new anthology, the year's best sports writing 2021. Thanks a lot for talking with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was Allison Glock. Glock is the author of Walk, Run, or Wheelbarrow. We moved our bodies forward during the pandemic. The essay was published by ESPNW at the end of 2020 and leads off the year's best sports writing 2021, a new anthology series. The book is on sale now. We're going to take a short break. When we return, I'll talk with Glenn Stout. He's edited the first edition of the new sports anthology series. This is Gangry the Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is brought to you by the digital journalism and sports media programs at Fairfield University. Digital journalism is designed to provide students with the skills, knowledge, and experience needed to succeed in today's quickly changing media world. Students take courses in everything from big data storytelling to podcasting to narrative journalism and more. Sports media is a new major that prepares students to work anywhere sports-related content is produced. Students take courses in journalism and broadcast communication. They can also take courses in public relations, film, and more. To learn more about the digital journalism and sports media programs, visit www.fairfield.edu. Welcome back to Gangry the Podcast. I'm Matt Tullis. My next guest is Glenn Stout. He's been on the show many times before, but now he's here to talk about the new sports anthology series, The Year's Best Sports Writing 2021. This series replaces the Best American Sports Writing series, which ran for 30 years with Stout as the series editor. 
Hey, Glenn. So can you tell me about this new uh, sports anthology that, that you're kind of heading up now? Right. Well, it's uh, it's not the best American sports writing, which no longer exists. This is kind of a new configuration of a very similar idea called the year's best sports writing uh, being published by Triumph Books. And my role in it is um, basically almost over. I mean, I am serving as the editor of the inaugural edition, but there is no series editor position per se. That uh, was the role that I filled with the best American sports writing. Uh, and my role in the next two editions of this book is sort of just on a consulting basis and to make sure the trains keep running. Um, but it's not my book. And after a couple of years, I won't have any involvement at all. Uh, I'm just trying to get this one off the ground and see if the plane will fly on its own. I know uh, last October when the 30th Best American Sports Writing came out and and that was kind of the end of that series a lot of people were were a little upset because people love that anthology so much um how how did this new one come about well it's because people were really upset and uh you know when word reached twitter that, it, that the old book wasn't going to be published anymore and i was informed by an email from somebody who i'd never met that started out hope you enjoyed thanksgiving and then ended with you know oh by the way um anyway when people got the word that this was the last one and i was just gonna let go i mean i've been doing this a long time and to a degree sort of tired of it um spent time to do some other things spend time doing other things but but there was such an uproar on twitter and such an outpouring of um love for the collection not just from uh readers but from people in the field and particularly younger people in the field who've been reading this their whole life that um, several publishers, you know, noticed that. And um, I got contacted by a couple of different people and uh, Triumph was both the most enthusiastic and the most persistent. And um, they asked me if, well, I told them that I think, A, I think a collection like this can continue. B, I think it should be done in a somewhat different way. Um, you know, I was never offered that opportunity with the best American sports writing. Those are all those books are done under an identical template and uh, which works in some regards and is also problematic in some regards. So uh, one of the, the biggest suggestion I made with this was that we no longer have a series editor position. We have an editorial board that will make recommendations to an editor, but that the editor of each edition needs to be much more involved rather than just being handed a raft of stories uh, and said, hey, pick from these or throw in a few more on your own if you want to be a much, take a much more active role and put their own personal stamp on it. And, and not to be too critical, but some, some annual editors in the past have sort of more or less mailed it in, uh, weren't very engaged in the work. And then I think with the, with the advisory board, which uh, I tried to pick staffers, freelancers, magazines, online, um, you know, freelancers, everybody, uh, different stages of their career. Uh, that's to make sure we don't miss anything and to, uh, you know, kind of guarantee the widest representation possible, as long as it's really good. I mean, that's the, <laughs> you know, what's your definition of best? So I asked those that pick the things you think are the best. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and then I make some recommendations too. This year, of course, I had to make the decisions as to what makes the, make the book. One, I was really looking forward to that too. It was a lot harder than I thought. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, but that's, uh, you know, there's a three-year commitment to the book from Triumph at this point. And uh, I think it'll be successful. I don't think there's any reason that this book can't continue for another 30 years. The piece that um, that that leads off the anthology, um, uh, obviously after uh, your introduction, uh, is by Alison Glock. Can you tell me about her piece? Well, Alison's piece is a, is a personal essay, and you know you wouldn't have drawn it up to start an anthology um, based on last year when sports in many ways sort of stopped or continued in <laughs> in a very strange way. But uh, I think Allison's essay really captured uh, the approach that a lot of us had to take, which was like, uh, you know, what does sports mean? And it became much more personal. Uh, I found myself much less interested in whatever iteration of uh, MLB or the NBA or the NFL or college football was taking place because I found that uh, sports was not an escape from COVID. It was only a larger reminder in many ways. But, um, you know, Allison's essay, I think, kind of set the tone for the way I looked at things, which was like, uh, in spite of everything, people kept on making connections. They kept on discovering ways that they connect to sports and in a much more personal way um, than they had in the past. Um, and so I thought her essay was just uh, perfect. I mean, as soon as I read it, and this was one of the essays, I hadn't read it initially. This was something that uh, one of the members of the advisory board put forward to me. Uh, otherwise, I may not have seen it. I mean, you cannot read everything that comes on ESPN, particularly the way ESPN is set up now. Uh, there's no magazine, you know, it's a fire hose. You can't read everything. But uh, I just thought it was, I just thought it captured the time really, really perfectly. You know, the book is obviously responsive to COVID. It's not totally COVID-centric, but it's, it's definitely influenced by what took place last year, as the book every year was always influenced by what took place in the previous year. Is there a reason uh, that you really wanted that one to be the, the, first, the first piece in the book? One, I really loved it. And, and two, I, I just thought it was a tone setter after I made all my selections. I try to arrange stories in the book so that they, so that there's some logic to why one follows <laughs> another, uh, that they kind of feed into each other, not so much because of sport or, or the type of story it is, but almost on a more emotional level, a, t a level of tone. And I think hers kind of set the tone um, for me um, that, you know, last year was a little different. And so you're going to have stories in here that might be a little different um, because the, the normal sports, you know, uh, <laughs> the, the sport, sports hierarchy was disrupted in such a severe way. I think hers kind of tapped into that and recognized that it became a much more personal, personal pursuit. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for uh, keeping a, a great sports writing anthology going, and uh, we'll look forward to them in future years. Yeah, I'm just glad people are going to you know wake up uh, Christmas morning and uh, something's going to be in their stocking again after they've uh, been accustomed to seeing it there for 30 years. Awesome. Thanks so much, Glenn. Thanks, Matt. 
That was Glenn Stout. He's the editor of the year's best sports writing 2021. It's published by Triumph Books and is on sale now. As usual, I've linked to everything we talked about on the show today. You can find all those links at gangrythepodcast.com. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y, the podcast.com. Stay up to date with the podcast by following us on Twitter. That's at Gangry Podcast. Gangry is spelled G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. You can subscribe to Gangry the Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any Google Play app. Just search Gangry. That's G-A-N-G-R-E-Y. Podcast. Gangry the Podcast is produced in the Integrated Media Labs at Fairfield University. It's made possible by the digital journalism and sports media programs, as well as the College of Arts and Sciences at Fairfield U. This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly. I'm Matt Tullis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.